Turn to Romans 1. That's where we're going to be today. I've actually uh, dealt with this passage before, but we're, as we're on focusing on the gospel, Gospel 2020 in this series, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, spend some time with Romans chapter 1. I love this passage of scripture. It just really touches my heart. So I'm going to I'm going to start we're going to read through Romans chapter 1 verses 14 through 17. But we're going to be hopping hopping a little bit around in Romans 1 for part of this time, but mostly that will be our passage. Where Paul writes to us uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 14. He's writing to the church at Rome. He's never been there. He's never been there. He's never met these people. We're not 100% sure how this church was planted and grew, but Paul's pretty jacked up about it. <laughs> and he writes to them what we have as the, the book of Romans, and it's awesome. So he says to them, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I am so, what's the word, church? Eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Then he says in verse 16, I am what? Not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of who? Everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. Because for in the gospel, this phrase, look for it in Romans 1, 2, and 3. You'll see it multiple times. A righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. That means to the great and to the least great. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The, the book Christian Theology in Plain Language says this. I want to share this quote with you. It says, It is easy to determine when something is a flame. It ignites other material. Any fire that does not spread will eventually go out. A church without evangelism is a contradiction in terms, just as a fire that does not burn is a contradiction. You ever heard of a fire that didn't burn? I've heard of only one. The burning bush, yeah. Yeah, that's what drew Moses to go check it out. It was on fire, but it wasn't consuming the bush. He says, that's never happened before. And it drew him to look. Normally, fire consumes. Folks, listen, it's easy to determine that the apostle Paul was on fire. He was a flame. Burning in him, the Holy Spirit just ignited other people. A fire that doesn't spread will eventually go out. And I believe, and I've experienced this to some extent, that you'll never feel more alive, more filled with the Spirit, more aflame or on fire than when the Spirit ignites another soul with the flame that burns in you. A church without evangelism, a Christian without evangelism, is a contradiction in terms just as a fire that does not burn is a contradiction. Now, let me just explain something here. If the picture in your head when I speak of evangelism is that here's a total stranger and you just start dumping on them, you know, that Jesus loves them and he died for them and et cetera, et cetera. Without listening, without building a relationship, without engaging and connecting with that, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, to me... 
Now, I'm not saying that God hasn't used that somewhat. I'm sure he has. I know of instances where he has. But that's a living soul. And, and to me, um, I don't know, when I see Jesus interacting with people, asking questions and connecting with people and looking them in the eyes with much confidence and love, um, that's the picture of evangelism where you listen and you learn and you care and, and, it, and it creates a connection where they begin to trust you and they want to know why you are like that and what you believe. That's what I'm talking about. So Paul said, first of all in this passage, he said I'm obligated to preach the gospel. Uh, loved ones, obligated means of course that what? What does that mean? He's obligated. He had to do it. That's right. He had to do it. He was in debt. He owed it to these people to share the gospel. Now, my question is why? Why was he obligated? So I looked around in the scriptures to answer that question. Why was he indebted to share the gospel? And I just want to share with you a couple of reasons. Number, first reason is Paul is obligated because Christ had done so much for him. Some of you are familiar with 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom what? Paul says, I'm the worst one. <laughs> so he felt an obligation because he was, the, he was the, to him, in his eyes, he was the lowest reach that God had to go to to get to somebody. God loved him and he knew it. He knew Jesus died for him, that Jesus revealed himself to him on the road to Damascus, that, that God had forgiven him, that, that God had come to live within his forgiven soul. And in Romans 8, 10 Still, Paul writing, he makes the link between his obligation to Christ and the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. He says, but if Christ is in you, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And he goes on to write that if indeed that the Holy Spirit lives in you, therefore, brothers, he says, we have an obligation. Let me put those two together without comment. Paul wrote, but if Christ is in you, your spirit's alive because of righteousness. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. The preacher's outline commentary says this about Paul. Quote, Paul actually felt that he owed the gospel to the world. Therefore, if he kept quiet, it would be worse than knowing the cure for the most terrible disease of history and refusing to share it. If you knew the cure for the coronavirus today, but you kept your mouth shut and refused to share it, that's what they're talking about here. Why was Paul obligated? First reason, because he saw that Christ had, what Christ had done for him. And secondly, Paul was obligated because, number two, Christ had called him. He called him to preach, Acts 9, 15. A guy named Ananias, God says, go. Go to Paul. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I'm going to show him. I'm going to show Paul how much he's going to suffer for my name's sake. And in Ephesians 3, 8, Paul writing now, he says, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now the phrase back in Romans 1, 14, where Paul said both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, that simply means that Paul owed the gospel to everybody, all nationalities. And the phrase where he said both to the wise and to the learned simply means that he owed the gospel to the educated and the uneducated. Paul, as he saw it, was obligated to everybody to share the riches of God's grace expressed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because number one, Christ had done so much for him. And number two, Christ had called him to preach. Preach. 
And when I think of this, I ask, what about me? <laughs> what about you and I? Are you obligated or is it optional? I think most American Christians that I've come in contact with view it as optional. Are you obligated or is it optional? Do you pursue the opportunity or do you do avoid the opportunity? Listen, if you are indeed a, a, a Christian, that same spirit that inflamed Paul lives within you. And he can and he is. He is using you to ignite other people. And my counsel to you is not to let anything quench that flame. Nothing. Get rid of that which is not flammable for Christ. Listen, there is, listen to this phrase. There's nothing that you can give up for the gospel of Christ right now that later you'll regret doing so. And there is nothing that you hold tight to right now that if it hinders the gospel, you won't later regret. Because we can burn hotter. I know I can. And his influence can spread further. And your speech can be bolder. And your fear of man can turn to courage. I know it. I've seen it. Both in me and especially in my lovely wife. And your love can run deeper. And your knowledge can become greater. And that's not optional. It is our great and glorious obligation. Christ, Christ is worthy of that. Paul was obligated. Not only was Paul obligated, he was also eager. And I love this part. I love this part. Eager. You want to live life eagerly? How many of you want to live life eagerly? You just want to kind of coast. Do you want to be eager about it? No, you do. I'm looking for hands right now. <laughs> I want to be eager. 15, he says, verse 15, chapter 1, he says, that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Love this word. You like Greek? Most, most of you probably don't, but I, I like it. And this word is awesome. It's prothemus. Prothemus. That's the word for eager. And it means this, forward in spirit forward in spirit do you hear that forward in spirit this, your spirit's leading you most of us our emotions and fears and insecurities are leading us down the road of life but here it's forward in spirit an urgent willingness a fierce passion ha isn't that cool a fierce passion yeah second corinthians 5 14 paul writes for christ's love compels us See, Paul had to preach. His love burned hot for Christ and for the souls of man. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he said, Yet when I preach the gospel, I can't boast, for I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Spirit inflamed, spirit on fire, like Peter and John, Acts 4, 20. Here's what Peter and John said about it. They said, we can't help it. <laughs> We can't help it. We can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Or like the prophet Jeremiah. I love this guy. I used to hate reading through. How many of you love Jer is Jeremiah? Your favorite book, crickets. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, 
I used to hate reading Jeremiah. I'd have to apologize to God in my Bible reading. I'm going through the Bible. I get to Jeremiah and say, sorry, God. I just, you know. But then I, for some reason, uh, it just started coming alive to me. And I love this guy, the weeping prophet. He was a crybaby, kind of like me. But the prophet Jeremiah had this unpopular word from the Lord in his day. And in verse 20, or chapter 20 and verse 9, here's what he said. He said, if I say, I'm, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to mention him. I'm not going to speak anymore in God's name. Because he had times where that was his thought. But he said, no, his word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding and eating. And indeed, I, I can't do that. I can't. See, Paul couldn't help it. He was like that. He had to preach. He had to share the good news of God. Or like the prophet Amos. Amos chapter 3 and verse 8. Love this. Love this. He says, the lion has roared. Who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? And not meaning foretell the future there. That's not what prophecy means there. He's talking about who, 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 who couldn't proclaim this. The flame had to spread to other flammable people. That's the nature of fire. It burns. It burns. Now, we've already seen it. Paul was obligated because, number one, Christ had done so much, and number two, uh, God had called him to preach. We're talking about why was he so eager here. And I'm going to give you three things about that. But overall, this isn't the first one, just, this is just overall, why should you and I be eager to engage with people, to befriend people, and to, to head toward that time when they wonder about us and we can share Christ with them? And the reason Paul is so eager like that is because the God who inhabited his soul is eager for one. Is not God eager and zealous and fiercely determined that his message would go out into this world? He's eager. And if I'm like him, I'll be also. But back up in the chapter, and you're, you're going to see, chapter 1, that flame is actually, this is really cool. That flame in Paul is actually being fed by these Roman Christians themselves that he's never met but he's writing to, but that he's heard about what God's doing in their lives. He was eager because of them. That was part of his eagerness. Look at verse 8. Paul says, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. So number one, why was Paul so eager? It's because he was thankful. He was thankful for the Romans, for their fire, and for their endurance for Christ. Listen, church, a thankful Christian is always going to be an eager Christian. A critical Christian, not so much. A discouraged Christian is not going to be an eager one. Paul was thankful for the Romans, quote, because your faith's being reported all over the world. There was a fire over there. People knew it. When there's a wildfire in California, it's all over the news, isn't it? It's all over the news. We hear about it. I've never been to California. 
but I hear about their fire. <laughs> That's what we're talking about here. Their faith, the fire of their faith and the presence of the Holy Spirit being reported all over the world. Paul was thankful for that. The second reason why Paul's so eager is because he was encouraged. Listen, the faith of these Roman Christians was the real deal and people knew about it and nothing encourages a flame like another flame that's already burning. Paul was feeling the heat, so to speak, as these Roman Christians were faithful to Christ in, listen to me now, in Rome, which was the ugliest of the ugly as far as environments goes. How bad was it in Rome? Well, the Roman historian Tacitus said, into Rome flowed, quote, all things vile and abominable, and there they're encouraged. This was Rome's so-called golden age at this point in history. The baker shops, the butcher shops, and stores, they were filled with tribute extracted from conquered lands and conquered peoples. Wines and liquors literally flowed in the streets, and exotic concubines and prostitutes from all the provinces were brought into the city for illicit pleasures. They were the plunder of conquered lands. We're told by the scholars and the poets of that day that almost every place of business in Rome, kept prostitutes for their customers. It was a place of idol worship, debauchery, great persecution of Christians. N.W. Hutching says in his commentary on Robans, and I quote, according to Chrysostom, who was an ancient historian of his own right, one of the early Christians, Chrysostom, the most beautiful of the Christian women, Chrysostom writes, were not killed in the Roman arenas but were rather saved for captive prostitution. Therefore, it's no wonder that all the world marveled at the fact that men and women would be faithful followers of Christ in the midst of such conditions, end quote. See, Paul was thankful and Paul was encouraged. He was inflamed by their faith in Christ. And let me tell you something, I'll say it again. A thankful Christian, an encouraged Christian is an eager Christian, eager to share the gospel. That's the effect that these people had on Paul. And you know what? I have been so blessed by this church because I've been other places. And you know what? Sometimes I hear, I hear about this church. I hear people say, oh, that's such a good church. They've never been here. But they've heard about you. And they've heard about your Pioneer Club and they've heard about just various things that we got going on here, mother-daughter banquets and such and, and the things that go out and go, go on in this place. And that's pretty cool. That encourages me. Verse nine. So, so far we got, Paul was thankful for the Romans. He was encouraged by the Romans and then you got verse 9. Why is Paul so eager? He says, God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness. How constantly I remember you. What, church? He's praying for him. At all times I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. He wanted to go there. So the third thing, why was Paul so eager? Because he was praying. 
And guess what? A praying person, you know what? <laughs> is an eager person. He is eager for those for whom he prays consistently because prayer changes the heart of the one doing the praying. And because prayer changes the heart. And since Paul remembered them constantly in prayer, then supernaturally his heart became more and more burdened to bless them and to encourage them in return. Look at verses 11 and 12 of Romans 1. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You know, it's funny how prayer works because when you pray for somebody, often God motivates you and the praying changes your heart to, to seek to become the answer to your prayer, to allow God to answer that prayer through, through you. Try it sometime. Pray for somebody that's discouraged. Pray that God would encourage them. And if you do that with the passion of the Holy Spirit, and when you're filled with the Spirit, God, God often puts on your heart, you go encourage them, and you'll want to. That's the cool thing about it. So Paul was obligated. Why? Because Christ had done so much for him, and Christ had called him to preach. He was also eager for the gospel. Why? Because he was thankful for the Romans, he was encouraged by the Romans, and he was praying for the Romans. He was obligated to share the gospel. He was eager to share the gospel. And the whole book of Romans is about the gospel. He's writing it to them because he couldn't go there at that time. He wanted to. He was going to. Eventually he did. Uh, and changed. <laughs> but at that point he couldn't go. He'd heard about them. And he wanted to make sure that their faith was on a rock-solid foundation, so he wrote the letter to the church at Rome. So I just want to encourage you, church. Um, we got one more to go. We're going to have to put that off for the sake of time here. But what about you when you look in this mirror? Are you eager or meager to share the gospel? Are we thankful for one another's faith? Are we encouraged by one another? Are we praying for one another? I don't mean just our, our physical concerns. I mean that the gospel would go forth through the daily living of you and of me. Because I'll tell you what, there is nothing that ignites the fire of the Spirit in me. And I become so thankful when I hear of your efforts individually and in your small groups to reach people for Christ. I am thankful for that. I am encouraged by that and I pray for you in that and I think this would be a good time I just want to thank my brother Randy Strack that dude's been a faithful group leader uh, for huh, I, I don't I don't even I can't even his group just goes on and on and on he adds people people you know go south for the winter and then people come in and and it, he's just been so faithful in it and I just want to thank you my friend for for your leadership and the effect and encouragement you've had on on other believers in this church. That's all we're going to do today, so we'll have time for communion. But next time, I'm planning on looking at the third part of this message, unashamed, Paul says. Listen, our sharing the gospel in some way, using your gift, whatever that is, is an obligation. It's not an option. This is an opportunity 
in which we need to be eager, not meager, because just as it is the nature of fire to burn, just as a flame that does not spread will soon go out, just as a flame that does not burn is a contradiction, so it is with the Holy Spirit in you and me. He inflames us with his presence, with eternal life, with a love for God, with a love for people, and a love for life. And I just pray, I know you're probably familiar with this quote, but it's so fitting, to make our prayer that of Jim Elliott, who was martyred for his faith down in the Amazon jungles. Most of you know him, or of him. He prayed at one point, this was in one of his journals, he said, God, I pray thee, light these idle sticks of my life, and may I burn up for thee. Consume my life, my God, for it is thine. I seek not a long life, but a full one, like yours, Lord Jesus. Romans 1.16, the thesis statement for the whole book of Romans. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Why, Paul? Because in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And I just want to close with this. I was going to tell it earlier, but I didn't. Blew right past it. I just want to give you a formal definition for the gospel. We've talked about it for weeks now. But the gospel, the good news, is a message, right? It's a message from God, right? So here's, here's how I tease that out. The gospel is the triumphantly declared message that God has conquered sin, death, Satan, and hell and has begun to reign by his Holy Spirit within the souls of his surrendered people. Let me close with that. I want to say it one more time. The gospel is the triumphantly declared message that God has conquered sin, death, Satan, and hell through his son, Jesus Christ, and has begun to reign by his Holy Spirit within the souls of his surrendered people. I want to live out the gospel today, this week, and I hope you're inspired to do the same. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Romans chapter 1. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and how you used him. Uh, And I thank you that the flame still burns today. I pray it be rekindled in our hearts. We have, we, each of us has family who are hurting, who are struggling, uh, maybe do not know anything about your triumphant message, your triumphant victory. Uh, maybe they do know, have heard, but they don't quite understand it. I think there's so many people that know Jesus died for their sin, but they 
They think, therefore, they have to behave themselves and live a boring life. <laughs> it seems to be the way that some people think. <clears throat> and they don't know that this is really about life and death. That without you we're dead in our trespasses and sins and that death will be eternal. We will, just as we're choosing to live this day apart from your presence, when we die, there's, you just fulfill what we've lived. Choosing to live this day, this week, this month, this year, putting Christ off till another day, choosing to do my own thing my own way, and then maybe even thinking, well, when I come to the end, just before I die, I'll ask God to forgive me, and I'll be good. Whoa. Because if that's how we want to live this life, what makes us think that in eternity we'd want to be in God's presence when we chose to be in, separated from him all throughout our lives? Hell is not some place you throw us into. It's some place we choose to go. It's the outworking of our will on earth. That's what you came to rescue us from. Men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. I pray, Lord, that, that you would, uh, gosh, break up the hard hearts uh, that think that this whole thing is about behaving themselves better, making different choices that aren't any fun, whatever, and that they begin to realize that, that they're, they're a house for you to live in and as long as they keep you out, they are empty and they're just going to spend their time trying to fill that up with stuff that's never going to satisfy them. might feel good for a second or a day or whatever and then, and then it's like I got to move on to something else because I didn't do it. And Father, for your church here, it, this, is, this message is triumphant. Man, you, Christ overcame death. So we, we just want to repent of, of the fear and the, the insecurity we feel about where we're at as Christians in, in this world and how the world might, might feel about us. Because this is triumphant. This is the, the only power, the only person ever to, to die and defeat it. And your word tells us that he didn't, just, he didn't just defeat death. He defeated sin, not his, ours. And so this is an awesome, awesome message. It, it's, it saves um, our souls for eternity and guarantees us a new body like the one that Jesus had when he came out of the grave. One that could function fully in both dimensions of spirit and physical. That's our destiny in Christ. We don't want to be ashamed of that. Paul wasn't ashamed. So I pray that we would embrace this with with deep contrition at our fear and insecurity and and uh, just with great power because it's not our power, it's yours that lives within us. So have your will and way with us, Lord. And uh, I pray that we would come to see the day that this this place, this building, this arena, whatever this is out here where people sit and 
listen and share from that that we we don't have enough place for the people that are that have come to Christ and that we're connecting with and we're befriending and we're discipling and we're sitting at the coffee house talking about your word and and helping them to to understand where they've been and where they're going and and how they how to change and how to grow um Thank you for this, these people, Lord. And many of them just have, their lives are different than what they used to be. They're utterly in a different direction. They're changed. And I thank you for them. Pray that what we're talking about today, we're just scratching the surface of what you want to do and can do. Um, but we know it's going to hurt some too, Lord. And so, you know, the cross hurt Christ and I, I know change hurts sometimes so uh, we trust you that's I guess what I want to say about that even in the pain of transformation all right uh, Lord as uh, we're gonna be reminded now of what it cost you um, to pay sin's debt as we partake of these elements as you, Lord Jesus, uh, brought about and initiated the new covenant, reminding us of your blood and your broken body um, and why you did that, that you're the Lamb of God, the Lamb that all those previous lambs pointed to. So we do this in remembrance of the cross, but we don't remember your brokenness without your healing and the resurrection. And we thank you for the hope of that for ourselves um, yeah we humbly remember Lord this is the gospel we're partaking of here in Jesus name Amen